Hey, everybody, you are live with Rashma. And Nahal, where are you? You know where I am. You're not here. You should be here. I'm definitely not sitting next to you. I'm as far away as one can be from their husband and their kids. So <laughs> that is true. I am uh, happy. Uh, Rashma's on a girl's trip, which she deserves. I'm on a girl's trip. Which she, which she greatly I'm deserves. Gap because I'm on Debroing Crypto with my husband. Well, this is the most important thing that's going on. But, um, you have a girl's trip because you have your amazing book that's coming out next month. So you need to relax a little bit before the, all that craziness starts. Yes, um, very, very true. Well, thank you for uh, for joining us, uh, Reshma, on your own LinkedIn. You're like, what? I was like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> thank you for joining me on my LinkedIn. Hey, we both, uh, this is 50, this is a 50-50, like. How is this 50-50? Yeah, this is a joint venture. This is not. This is unpaid labor on my LinkedIn. Anyway, uh, we are very excited uh, to have a, an amazing guest today. Um, this is episode five, by the way, of Debrowing Crypto. So we've five times, which is amazing. Um, and, um, you know, this particular guest, uh, you know, one of my talents is, is stalking people and um, in like a nice way so they don't feel like they're being stalked. And um, it, this was at a kid's birthday party, actually, of one of my cousins. And uh, I see Packy. And sure enough, I stalked him. And then I cornered him in a kid's gym. And I basically uh, convinced him to be on the show. True story. True story. Uh, now, I'll like to exaggerate, but this time it's actually true. I was there. I saw. Uh, and Packy is uh, an incredible uh, voice and force in Web3. Uh, for those of you that don't know him, he is the founder of the Not Boring Empire, including Not Boring Capital. Uh, he's also a Web3 advisor to Andreessen, um, one of the leading venture firms in the space. And uh, we're just really excited to have him. And yeah, let's him. bring him on. Packy. Let's bring him on. Packy. Packy. <laughs> I am yeah, so glad that you uh, you stalked me and courted me at the, the birthday party because I am pumped to be here. This is going to be fun. Amazing. First of all, what does Packy stand for? Couldn't Most say Patrick when I was like four, maybe, or something. I had a problem with ours. So uh couldn't say Patrick and we stuck with Packy. And it just stuck. It just stuck. I think it's That's like cool. half the... It's cool. Thank you. I think it's like half the reason people read what I write or anything. It's just like a, a different name. I, I think it's Patrick. This all falls apart. Yeah. Actually, that's a good that's a good exercise in branding, right? Which is like spelling your name a little bit differently to like being a little bit, especially with social media, to being a little bit uh, outstanding. But you're outstanding anyway. Even if you are a Patrick, <laughs> even if your wow. name right now, I would still be like, yo, you, yo, this. All is right. The, anyway, let really let 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 the get let the let the crowd decide. All right. So let's get started. Do you want now? I will give you the honor of the first question because I'd like the second one. Okay. Uh, so, Packy, uh, how did you embrace Web3 like, and or crypto? Like, tell me about your, the first, first moment that you like, fell in love with it and said you wanted to, you wanted to run this town. Yeah. So the, the first moment I found it, I was, uh, you know, I think just the normal, uh, the normal kind of early person using Bitcoin to, to break all the rules. So I read Fred Wilson's blog post uh, when they invested in Coinbase. Uh, and then I went out and uh, and I was I was at Bank of America Merrill Lynch at the time. 
and if you work in a bank, you have all these restrictions around what you can buy and you can, you have to run stock trades, buy them and you have to hold for 30 days, whatever, which they know about because I was trading through the Merrill, the, the Merrill Edge brokerage account. They had no idea what Coinbase was. And so I was like, oh, I could trade this thing like, you know, without them knowing about it, I don't need peer approval. This sounds great. And so to get around the rules, I, I went to Coinbase and bought my first Bitcoin. I bought 38 of them at $100. Uh, and then I went to Oktoberfest a couple months Ooh. later. Uh, and I, I just quit my job at that point. And I felt bad about the fact that I had just like quit my job and then paid for this trip to Oktoberfest and gone out and spent too much money. And so I was like, you know what? Just like mentally, I'm going to feel a lot better if I just sell these stupid Bitcoin and get my money back and pay for the trip that way. And so I sold them. I think it was a 50% gain at the time for like one, 150 bucks each. You sold all so of them? Sold all of them. Oof. Uh, I, I also sold, I bought a bunch of ETH, uh, you know, in like 2017 and then sold a bunch of that in the beginning of the pandemic because I quit my job again. Uh, so like really just like incredible timing here. I am, I'm fascinated by the space, but not a, not a trader. Um, but it's, I got, I got back into it. I, I avoided it for a while because I felt so bitter every time the price went up and did the math in my head about what that would have been worth. Um, and then finally at the end of 2020, I started talking to, as I'd been running a few uh, kind of SPVs and investing companies, was talking to a founder who was building uh, building something kind of leveraging Web3 in the video game space. And he was the one who kind of just showed me that it wasn't about the speculation or the price go up or any of that. It was about the fact that what got me was this idea that, that you have the kind of value chain with the creator on one side, the consumer on the other side, and the middleman or aggregator or whatever in the middle. And that crypto, I think, could do a really good job of pushing more of the value out to both the consumer and the creator. And so that's when I started digging in and... and my my uh, appreciation for the space has never been about this price. This, this coin will go up. This coin will go up. But I think like just the business model design space that it enables is really fascinating. And so that's what the, what's kind of gotten me down the rabbit hole. So we all watched the Super Bowl probably. Every other commercial was about Web three, right? Like even Larry David was like all up in it. Like so, like the world has moved quite quickly into either thinking about Web3, being fascinated by it, NFTs, you know, crypto, you name it. Like, are you surprised? And like, what do you think is driving that interest? Gosh, I think, you know, for a little while, the interest was driven by everybody knew somebody who had made a bunch of money on crypto. I think probably the reason that you're seeing so much of the, the Super Bowl commercial attention is that the the margins are still really good on, on crypto trading and like, you know, Robinhood, that's the most profitable part of their business. And so the pure play exchanges can make a lot of money uh, on, on crypto trading. And so they have a lot of money to spend and each customer is worth a lot of money to them. So that's that that's that reason. But I think over the past year and a half, there've been just more and more and more entry points for people uh, kind of finding one thing that might be interesting to them. And then once you go in, I think there are a million different things that you can explore. But NFTs were big, and at first it was like the the peoples, and then there were the profile picture projects, and then you know crypto covens. I think did a really good job of of kind of being a more uh, welcoming community. And so as some of those things happened on the NFT side, is there more uh, kind of like memberships being done with NFTs, or brands dropping NFTs, or companies like Shopify coming out and saying that they support uh, the use of NFTs? Those were some opportunities. I was involved in Constitution DAO that you know I think got a bunch of a bunch of press um, and introduced people to the concept of a DAO and this kind of a collectively owned thing. And so maybe not all of that is interesting to everybody, but maybe something is interesting enough to somebody that they come in and they start exploring and start understanding what it's about. And then once you get in, it is. I haven't met. Uh, there's a, a 
moderately famous to us, like kind of nerds podcaster who ran a podcast that I loved, stopped doing it for a while and is now coming back. And he's skeptical as they come, but he was like, man, I've been getting into this for the past couple of months and I didn't know what my angle was going to be. And I love it. Like there's just so much to explore here. So I think once you start exploring, uh, it's, it's a really fun place to be. Second question. So you came from financial services, right? It doesn't get more kind of bro-y or exclusionary. And part of why Nahal and I started this podcast was to get like more women and more people of color. Like at Girls Who Code, this is like blown up in terms of like our students and our girls wanting to get involved, wanting to like, you know, be a part of what, what I like to say, like rain, you know what I mean? Web three. What are you seeing? Are you seeing more women? Are you seeing more people of color? Are you seeing more people who, you know, were not part of, you know, web one, web two, and even just generally, you know, finance? Yeah. I, I mean, I think certainly my, my, I worked when I worked at Bank of America Mellon out of school, it wasn't the most diverse place, but it also wasn't the most uh, the most non-diverse place either. I met my wife Pooja there. She's a, a brown woman. So, you know, there certainly it wasn't just all white dudes there, but certainly, you know, I think historically not a space that was uh, particularly wide open or, or welcoming. Um, I, I think in, in Web3 so far, it's it feels like it's gotten better even over the past few months. And I'd love to hear your impression of that. But one of the things that kind of bugged me early on was that it is supposed to be this kind of like big, wide open, uh, anybody can participate system. And then like all the people that you see getting rich are still kind of like the same dudes. And I, I, I would love actually even to hear your thoughts on why that is, but it does feel like over the past three to six months, it's really started to, to uh, open up to a wider audience of, of people. You know what I found has been interesting? I, is I like, think, uh, oh, Sorry, Nahal. See, we're not together, so I can't pinch him and be like, I'm actually answering the question. Um, I was just going to say that the, the big inflection point for people of color was this show, actually, yes. <laughs> five weeks ago. Sorry, Rush, go ahead. No, I, I think what's interesting is like there's been a lot of media attention about young people and young people of color that have made money, that have you know created something. So I think for a lot of my students, like, you know, we always say you cannot be what you cannot see. Actually, what they're seeing in crypto, you know, especially from like the millennial perspective, are more young people, are more people of color, are more, you know, underserved communities that are getting into the space and, and making some money doing it, doing it. That's cool. I, I remember Time Pieces did a partnership, uh, the, the Time Magazine NFT project with the, I forget if she was 12 or 13 year old yeah. girl who was doing the long necks. Yeah, those were those were so cool. There are definitely opportunities like that. I think that the, the young people piece of this is one of those very funny things where, you know, our, our generation debates about it and like some people believe and some people don't believe. And then I think, I mean, I'm sure kind of all of, all of your students are, are they, they just kind of take it for granted, I would, I would imagine. And so, you know, in 10 years, there's not going to be a debate because those people are going to be in charge. We're going to be old uh, and they're going to be building these things that I think are I mean, I, I can imagine for a young coder, this is such a fun space to play with because all of a sudden you have this other primitive, which is like money and you get to bake kind yeah. of economics into a bunch of different things, which is really cool. And no one's going to tell them that they're going to get scammed. They'll make that decision for themselves, right? That is the key. You know, that attitude is people of what people tell us and, you know, what, you know, especially people like Warren Buffett, right, who is skeptical of this, they're not going to listen to him and say, oh, I'm not going to get involved. They're going to figure it out for themselves. And I think that that's really cool and important. One of the, and I've seen this, this flip-flop, one of the things that the anti-Web3 camp, and this has been called out too, but has been, has, at first it was that it was way too white and male and like the same people getting rich again. 
And then as soon as those kind of studies came out that it was actually, you know, a higher percentage of people of color owned it than uh, owned crypto than white people and all that. And then it flipped to like this very patronizing attitude of like, well, we don't want those people getting scammed. And it's just ridiculous. Like, I, I think the whole attitude towards the space is like, it assumes that there's just a bunch of dumb people out there just like waiting to get scammed. And everyone will get wrecked at some point and everyone will lose a little bit of crypto and you have to be careful. But I generally like to think that people are smart and can kind of figure this stuff out for themselves. It's a very powerful, it's very patronizing. It's very patronizing. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and I think that's one of the things that regulation could be helpful for. You know, obviously we're all kind of waiting on, uh, you know, what that looks like, when it'll happen. You know, I know the U.S. government rolled out something on, at least from a tax perspective, when you stake, um, you know, a, a, a token, like those rewards are actually... Um, tax-free, um, which was interesting that they kind of started there. That was maybe like a very, you know, easy thing to, to, uh, you know, absolve, but, um, you know, let's, let's see. I mean, Packy, any thoughts, insights on like what regs look like? Obviously we're not China, you know, this stuff's not illegal. Although by the way, the third largest holder of Bitcoin is the Chinese government, which is crazy. Uh, by the way, this is episode five and <laughs> the Chinese government is going to cancel the show. So this is the last episode of, no, it's not. Um, uh, and then, you know, India is kind of somewhere in the middle, like in terms of like, you know, uh, it's not completely illegal. There's Web3 innovation happening. What, what are your thoughts about the U.S. and, and regs and, or, or the lack of for now and New York specifically? Yeah, that's that's another one of those very confusing uh situations where one side thinks that everybody in, in crypto wants there to be total lack of regulation and everybody in crypto is like, please give us clear regulation so that we don't feel like criminals. I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs building in the space and a lot of them, like, you know, they're still doing it and it's not an existential fear. And really what it comes down to is what the SEC enforces. And so they're not going to come after pre-seed stage startups, most likely. But there's this like feeling that when you're building something that you think is good for your users and that you're excited about that you're also maybe a criminal and that's like a really weird kind of dissonance to 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 play with uh so i hope that it gets more clear i mean there was just the the blockfi uh case where they essentially got sued for 100 million dollars by the government but there's a great matt levine piece on this talking about that's kind of just the cost of figuring out because it, it does cost the the regulators money to enforce those fines kind of pay for the thing. And now BlockFi has more clarity on what the rules are and they have a head start in actually building towards those rules and even have a say in kind of making those rules. So something that looks bad from the outside, like BlockFi getting fined is actually just kind of how this process works. And mm -hmm. we'll see more fines and it'll look more like, oh no, everybody in crypto is getting in trouble. But really, you know, BlockFi is worth $5 billion plus dollars and they can afford, I think, a little bit of that regular, regulatory cost to now kind of have a head start uh, on being you know, the biggest regulated entity there. I have a show idea basically based on what you just said, instead of billions, right. Let's call it trillions and just be about crypto scams. Ooh. What do you think guys? What do you think? Well, the, the billions equivalent though would be so boring in crypto. Cause it would just be like, you know, a bunch of people money for like, <laughs> <laughs> it would just be a bunch of like bots. Yeah. yeah. Right. My but this is, I mean, I think this point about transparency is, I mean, I have found as a new, you know, person in this space, I've been just opening up my account, you know, I'm on the MoMA board and we were talking about, you know, even, you know, even 
during, like you can't do a show where you have people purchase NFTs because you have to do like 10 steps before to even do that. For some people it's frustrating or you don't feel comfortable putting in your account, you know, or putting your, you know, your bank information. So I think in many ways, removing that barrier to entry is critical. And I do think that regulation will bring that um, will make it seem easier for people to get engaged, involved in, especially people who are not part of, you know, the, the financial services system, the banking system. I, I agree. I mean, one of my hot takes on this is that I think maybe the pseudonymous and anonymous kind of side of this is a little bit overblown. And like this vision of the future where everyone is pseudonymous is, is maybe a little bit overblown, where I think it'll actually be really useful for people to have in some safe way, their identity on the blockchain in a way that's easy to plug in, easy to get KYC, maybe you're approved once and and everything can get smooth from, from there on out. Again, it's another area where nobody thinks that you should just keep everything completely wide open and let anybody, uh, you know, from anywhere in the world invest and take over, you know, X, Y, Z thing. Like, I think a lot of projects would love if there was an easy way to do know your customer stuff on the people who are purchasing that wasn't having to scan your ID and add all this information and, and do all this, this high friction stuff. I completely agree. So I have an interesting question to ask you. So I got a call today or an email today from somebody and, you know, in the women's community, there's a lot of fear about what's going to happen with the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade. And there's talk about whether this space, right, can actually help protect women's reproductive rights, provide them access, et cetera. You know, especially when women are going to be living in states where that's going to be shut down. I've thought about this in terms of also like paid leave. Well, you know what? If the government's not going to be able to do it, do I start a mom coin? You know what I mean? And we actually start funding moms, you know what I mean, who've been pushed out of the labor market. What do you see as the future, you know, on some of these, you know, social, like the future for actually for the, for the community and the people funding social justice and not relying on, and on, on decent government actors? It is it is perfect timing that we're having this conversation. The last call that I had before this was a pitch uh, with a company that that kind of watched the Constitution Dow thing and and uh, had an idea that allows you essentially to kind of spin up things like that more quickly. I think there's a lot of DAOs in the space that need to feel like they have this long term mission and governance and whatever. But in a lot of cases, having those lighter weight ways to spin up things to to support different groups of people or to show your support financially for a bill or your opposition to a bill and the ability to pay for lobbyists, like all of that, I, I think crypto can do a really good job of helping kind of just get that money together really quickly. And so the thing that they pointed out was, yeah, billionaires can lobby, companies can lobby. What if we just raised a hundred million dollars to go lobby? And like, you know, we had a, a hundred thousand people throw in a thousand dollars each or whatever the math would end up being to go lobby and do this as a group of people it's the easiest way to coordinate that 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 exists yeah i think that there's a there's like an incredible future out there on this yeah the, it's just exciting that you can go from idea to uh, like as soon as you have that kind of like activation energy and excitement around something you can spin something up that is able to collect money in you know uh, in a few minutes which is fantastic well, and I think about this as a social entrepreneur, whether it's Girls Who Code in the beginning or Marshall Plan for Moms, I'm literally going out there and begging, you know, philanthropic foundations to like seed this idea that I know will work, you know what I mean? That's going to work and that's going to change lives and that people, the people believe in. And so being able to take it to the people and have them, you know, fund the future that we want to see is just powerful. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to see that be put in action. Yeah. I, I think there's something around NFTs and giving too, which is like you don't want to necessarily be 
you know, I, I don't need my name on a building, but just to like, I'd love if I, you know, if I were one of the earliest backers of Girls Who Code to have like an NFT that said like, by the way, like back in, you know, a ago, I was like yeah. there, yeah. which is, is so cool. And it's not like, you know, a, an ego thing. It's more of just like a, it's a very cool thing that you have as opposed to like some receipt in your inbox that says like, yes, you gave and you're, you can get, get your tax re receipt. That's yeah, right. That, yeah, that's super interesting. And by the way, you know, it's a badge of honor because that's completely transparent. Anybody can see that in your wallet. Right, which by the way is very interesting these days. Uh, I know as an investor as well, and as an entrepreneur, you know, people are basically your new LinkedIn is your wallet, right? And so, like, what actually have you done, you know? And yeah. like, where are you putting, you know, your money where your mouth is? And what are these things? So imagine, yeah, some of these donations actually translate into these NFTs, and you were backer number one of you know Marshall Plan for Moms, and it's loud and clear in your wallet, and it's like that's like iconic. You know, yep. there's no other number one or number one to 100 of that uh, at that donation level. It's really interesting. You know, Paggy, one of the things you mentioned is the company that you met right before this, which I think we're probably talking to as well, but in the DAO tooling space, right? Because being able to spin up these things like Constitution DAO, we're going to have Julian on the storage show later, being able cool. to spin up like Lynx DAO, right? We'll have Mike Dudas on the show as well. Like those things are not easy like like the, the when it gets down to governance right it's basically like 11 people in a discord or whatever at least right could be thousands of people trying to govern these things um mm. and you know discord god knows that you know the, i mean discord right now is just like oh my god i've got it's impossible <laughs> like literally one zillion notifications like what's going on so uh you know i think that whole next layer of software to deal with all this stuff that's like, really an interesting is, question is mm. now is being built now like the next discord and linkedin and google and facebook are being built now to maybe not be fully germinated for five or seven or ten years but like they're being they're being created now to solve these very visceral problems that there's no other company that is outfit really to do right i, I think yes and i think you, you even made a more interesting point is which is that it might be five to seven or eight years for like no startup in the world would be expected to be like a world changing perfect thing in year one and i think that's kind of what you expect or what what i think people generally expect out of crypto projects when they launch a token which is totally fair once you do that you're essentially public but i think a lot of the really interesting ones are going to take are being built now a lot of things that i've invested in are under the radar don't have a token launched yet all of those types of thing and will take two three years to build the product find product market fit decentralized, do the token issuance. And so I think like the the excitement that you saw in 2021, that translates into like really big, fully formed, you know, impactful startups in 2023, 2024, 2025 down the line. And so I would say don't judge necessarily the current batch. Like I just I wrote about Brain Trust uh, and, and met with their community this morning. And they were launched in 2018 and are just now kind of end of last year launched their token. They're growing, they grew from 36 million in gross service value two weeks ago, and now they've done 42. So like they're growing really fast now, but it's year three of doing this uh, yeah. or year four of doing this. And so I think, you know, you, you should not hold these crypto companies to any expectations that you don't hold a, a regular startup to timing wise. It, it reminds yeah. me of that Bill Gates quote, actually. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, there's a Bill Gates quote. We always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10. Yeah, 100%. it's important then that it's like crypto is not a fad. I want to talk about climate 
you know, again, a lot of criticism about crypto, which I've gotten like Rushma, I love you and I voted for you, but I know you're about crypto, but, but like, I really, you know, like this, the climate piece really bothers me. What do you say to that? I think that it's, I mean, the one obviously want to be sensitive to it because anything that we're doing to, to, to accelerate the climate change issues is not a good thing. And so I'm not, I don't want to just brush over all of it. I will say that in many cases at this point, people are mining Bitcoin, Bitcoin with renewable energy, not for the good of the world, but actually because it's cheaper and it makes more sense for them to do it. And so some of the most profitable miners just happen to be set up next to dams where you can get uh, hydroelectric energy or next to wind farms. Another really interesting thing that's happening is one of the problems with a renewable energy like solar is that the sun shines during the day and then not you know overnight you're in trouble wind is kind of like occasionally the opposite and it's a little bit more sporadic and so what, what people uh what bitcoin miners are doing is it's coming in and using the energy where it's being overproduced by renewable energy uh maybe wind at night when people's houses don't need as much electricity and they're coming in at night and mining then when the wind energy is the cheapest which actually makes it more uh, more profitable and, and profitable at all for some of these uh, renewable projects to exist. And so this is not like some, some goodwill of the crypto community. Uh, it is just that it is a cheaper form of energy and actually might have this great unintended side effect of making renewable make more sense. So that's one side of it. I also think climate change is this, obviously just a, a big collective action problem and a big incentive alignment problem. And it is like the case study for the idea of negative externalities. And when nobody really has a price to pay, then like everybody can kind of just pollute and, and use a bunch of energy and there's, you know, they get it for free kind of. And so I think crypto should have the ability to help kind of align incentives and put a price on, on some of these things. I've backed a few different projects that are working on either, uh, credits for uh you know carbon offset credits are kind of the the biggest one and in, in, in bow right now um but a few different types of credits for farmers or other types of people that if crypto is a good way of funding kind of the work that you need to do ahead of time to actually become uh more sustainable over time and then let everybody share on the upside from that so i've actually i, I think history will show that that crypto is actually good for climate there's also the idea that everything other than bitcoin is kind of moving proof of stake which is as much energy as a Google search, if not less. Um, so I think over time, history will look back on crypto as having been good for climate, but I can understand why right now it seems like you're just spending a lot of energy to mine fake coins. Uh, I want, we like to take, so a lot of this show is also about practical things that people have, people are new to the space. So we have a question from Tanel saying, what is up with the seven day return? Is that true? Seven day return, meaning kind of on different exchanges that might take that much time to get your, your money back. It's that's an interesting one. So if you're using something like a Coinbase, they'll let you fund instantly, but they won't let you withdraw or trade your tokens or anything else until the money actually kind of clears and hits their account. And so what they're trying to do is remove friction on the front end so that if the second that you think that you want to buy crypto, you can go ahead and buy that crypto. And they actually aren't at risk because you can't do anything with it yet. You can't withdraw. You can't. There's all these systems that that companies like Coinbase and banks and whoever have to put in place because there are just a bunch of fraudulent actors out there who would take advantage of any opportunity to just put money in, take it right out, and 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 uh, steal money essentially from the platforms. So it is not ideal, but I actually think on net 
that system is really fascinating and, and it's given Coinbase, I think kind of best in class conversion rates uh, to people hitting their site and then actually being able to go purchase because they do make it so simple to fund immediately. The downside is you have to wait until the money actually comes in the account to, to do anything with it or take your money back out. Thank you. Now I'm going to give you the last question because we're running at time. Well, speaking of Coinbase, um, you know, obviously they had a very interesting Super Bowl spot on Sunday. Um, and it was kind of ironic, uh, all the tweets and memes that were going around saying they spent 10 million on the spot, but they spent zero in web infrastructure, right? <laughs> like literally everybody was, you know, we'll, we'll never learn, by the way, since the birth of the internet, that if you put out a Super Bowl spot, you should probably spend at least the same amount of money on like AWS, you know, or like Lambda or something to make sure your servers are like buy another machine or plug in another rack, whatever it is. Could they have imagined though, was it 20 million people simultaneously going to this? That is unbelievable. That was I mean, like they should have actually like prepared for that. We'll never learn. We always make the same. We always the make conspiracy the theory. Down. The conspiracy theory, though, on it is that is that they did it on purpose because now we're talking about the site going down. Um, right. And so right. that was that was part of the game there. But either way, big success for them. They went to the number two app in the country after that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing. Um, Packy, listen, we're so inspired uh, by your work, and you know we look forward to seeing uh, everything that you do. This is, this was certainly not a boring conversation, and uh, most of the stuff that you invest in is certainly not boring either. And um, you know, we're just honored to have you on and to be a friend and uh, and to keep on, you know, pioneering in uh, in this space. So thank you yeah, so much for your time. Conversation. I learned a lot. Thank you. This is really fun. Thank you. Take Thanks, care. Bye.